Happy Thursday! This week we are so excited to chat with Lauren Flores. Lauren is the host of the Up and Running podcast, an Olympic trial qualifier for the marathon, and a mom of two who works from home. She shares her amazing birth stories and her transition into motherhood. We try not to get too bogged down in running and Olympic chat, but we do spend some time there. We also discuss raising girls in a culture where Mary Kane stories don't seem that uncommon. Lauren fills us in on what the Mary Kane story is, if you're not sure what I'm referring to. To be honest, we got a bit caught up in the conversation and did not even ask any listener questions. Her daughter also joins us about a quarter of the way through, but we forgot she was even there. She was so quiet. If you love this conversation, please go leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It is quick and easy and lets other podcast listeners know why you love us. Follow us on social media at Mamosa's Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation with Lauren Flores. Welcome to Mamosas. Hope you have your friends and your drinks nearby. You're here with Kristen and Talia. And we're here to talk about all things mom. This week we have an exciting guest, Lauren Flores. She's a mom of two girls, three years old and nine months. She's an Olympic trial qualifier in the marathon, co-host of Up and Running Podcast, and a running coach. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Well, we always love when we have a guest to just dive right in to the nitty-gritty birth stories. So will you please (laughs) share anything you would like about your birth stories? Sure. So when I was actually back when I was in college, one of my friends was kind of interested in becoming a doula. And at the time, I had never, ever heard of what that was. And she was describing it and how, oh, these like women have natural births and they have these helpers there to help them out. And so, I mean, that was five years before I got pregnant. Um, but that kind of planted the seed of wanting to do it naturally um, or without medication, as did a conversation with my mom when I was around that age, which is hilarious in retrospect, because I asked her if she had a natural birth, her thinking I just meant vaginally. She was like, yeah, for all of you guys. And so <laughs> after the fact, when I was like, I want to do it because you did it. And she's like, no, I had uh, I had epidurals. I'm like, oh, <laughs> OK. No, I had all the drugs. Yeah. So when I we got pregnant with our first, I started searching around near us for birth centers that did birth with certified nurse midwives. Um, and we visited a couple and then found one that my husband was really comfortable with as well because he was more hesitant to have babies out of the hospital. And this one was like very homey and welcoming, but also you could tell that they had their stuff down from like a medical standpoint as well. I went into labor early with my first. I, she was about like 10 days early, which I was not expecting. And I kept, I have really, really horrible like periods my whole life. And so I like was calling my doula. We called the midwife and I was like, I think I'm in labor, but I don't know. And I was like Googling, what does labor feel like? And <laughs> convinced myself it was just like Braxton Hicks because I hadn't had them up till that point. And it was still early. And my doula was like, eh, like, you'll know 
you'll know when it changes. And so we ended up just like going to the birth center that day because I had an appointment for my 39 week appointment. And we get there and they're just like checking me in like it's a regular day. And then I'm like, I told them I had been having some contractions. And so one of the nurse is like, well, do you want us to check you out? And so they check me and I'm like, they're going to tell me I'm like nothing and I'm being dramatic. And she's like, well, so you're nine centimeters dilated. Oh my gosh. So we got to the birth center at like one and she was born at like 350. So oh. it went pretty quickly. It was like middle of the day, which I wasn't expecting, you know, you see in movies and in like pop culture, you see it's like yeah. usually in the middle of the night or whatever. And it was like smack in the middle of the day. And it was like relatively, I would say it went really smoothly. She was a lot easier in comparison to my second birth um, to get out because she was a lot smaller. Well, and you didn't even know you were in labor. No, no. And so she was born like really quickly. And um, it just was like a really great experience. We got to spend the first hour, just like us and her together. Um, and it was really special and bonding. The second time around, we went back to the same nurse midwife practice. And I was so excited because I was like, oh, it's going to be so special. They're going to be born in the same room. I went over. I was 40 plus five when oh my I gosh. had her. So I was like convinced I was going to have her in December. It was almost February by the time she joined us. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, when you get overdue, you're like, this is never going to happen. I need to like stop not making plans because that's just as worse. So that day I like filled up our schedule. My husband stayed home from work that day because I was like had a meltdown after my 40 week appointment. And I was like, I need you to take Friday off. So we like went to dinner with his parents. And when we were at dinner, I started having contractions. We got home and I was like, I was bouncing on the ball. I took a shower to try and help things happen because I had like thought I was going into labor a couple times. And then I would go to bed thinking, oh, I'll wake up and I'll be in full blown labor. And that like, just petered out. And I was like, so let's like get things going. So I'm not going to go to bed. And then I tried to go to sleep around midnight. And at one o'clock, I was like, babe, I think I need to get in the bathtub. And since my labor had the first time had gone so quickly, the midwives were like, don't let her tell you when she's ready to go. Like you make the decision and you call us. And so he was like, I was like, run the bath. And he's like, I'm going to call the midwife. I'm like, run the bath. And he's like, no, I'm calling. And okay, so I'm like, call. yeah. And I'm like already mad that he's like not running the tub and he calls the midwife and she just is like, come in right now. I'm already here. It's one as like one in the morning. So there was somebody else in labor. So we got there and I was like, we were in the car and I'm like, you know, on your way there, your contractions typically spread out and get longer apart. And so we're there going there and I'm telling him, you know, you're really lucky that they're already there because I'd feel really bad if we get there and <laughs> you like and they weren't they had to wake up and get there and it's a false alarm and he's rolling his eyes at me so hardcore. <laughs> and so we get there and I like get out of the car. Dula meets us at the car and I literally had to stop like five times in the 50 meters from our car to the front door of the birth center because I was having contractions. Oh my gosh. Um, and so we get there and I they check me and they're like, so you're like nine centimeters. I'm like, oh my, oh my gosh, God. again. And this was really special because there was two women that work at the birth center that don't usually take call for births. And since they had worked there when I was pregnant with my first, I got to know them and they just like that month had started taking call and they both ended up having the night that I had my daughter. So it was really cool mm -hmm. to like, instead of having nurses that they have on call that don't like work in the birth center during the day, I had two women that I knew. So like everybody that was there, I had known ahead of time, which was really cool. This daughter was Sunny 
side up, um, as was my first, but I was able to turn her before she came. Marigold is a lot bigger. And I think so by that point, she just wasn't turning. And so she, we got there at one and it took, I think I was, I had, I was pushing her out for like, I swear it was like four hours and everybody else is like, it wasn't that long, but it was (laughs) compared to my first, it was so defeating. Um, cause it was just really hard. She was a lot bigger. She was in a lot harder position to get out. And the umbilical cord ended up being like wrapped around her neck two times. So when she came out, like our birth, like our uh, midwife um, had to like take her out and like unwrap her. And luckily she started crying really soon, but it was just a little bit harder, a lot more. I struggled a lot more mentally throughout that labor because, you know, they're like, okay, I can see your head like one more push. And then it was like 10 more pushes because she was a giant baby. And I'm like, I don't believe you when you're telling me this is working. And it was really hard. And I think during that point, I'm really glad we were where we were because my husband said it was hard to watch that. And if we had been in a hospital, he would have been like, do you want the drugs? Because this is you're really struggling. So, but she came out and it was all good. And it's funny because I really want a third. We'll see if it happens. But my husband during that labor, the midwives were like, do you want to catch her? And he's like, next time. (laughs) And so now he's like, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like doing this now. And you're already talking about next time. So, which is just when you want to be thinking about it. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I wish that everyone else had a video camera to see Talia and my reaction. To when oh, you were that talking. first one. <laughs> yeah. The nine centimeters. I know. We both know. <laughs> it's going to be the same reaction that listeners have when they're listening to the podcast in their car. True. Or on their run. Everyone, your jaw's going to hit the floor. You can let us know when that happens. How was that knowing that the cord was wrapped around Marigold's neck? Like, was that like something that was really freaky to you? Or was it like quickly remedied? And so it was like, ah, but then it was okay. Yes. So they they didn't actually know like when I was in labor because she wasn't having any D cells. They actually they do like intermittent monitoring and she was actually having like heart accelerations during some of my contractions. Mm. Um, So they were kind of baffled when she came out and she had it wrapped around her neck so many times. I could tell there was something going on because at one point the midwife turned to the like the nurses and asked them to like they brought in some stuff that they hadn't brought into the room when when I was having live. Um, And that was because since it was taking so long for me to push them out. And when they started seeing how big her head was, they were like, this is they thought she was going to be a 10 pound baby. She ended up being like 8, 14, but they were like, oh, she's going to be so big. So they, the midwife had them bring in like oxygen for her, I think, because they were saying that like bigger babies have, can have a hard time, harder time breathing as well as Pitocin for me to give me a shot if I was bleeding too much. Mm. Um, but luckily neither of us needed any interventions. So they were kind of impressed with that. And I'm glad that I didn't freak out too much when I was like, what are they bringing in? And like, why is everything okay? But yeah, knowing after the fact that it was wrapped around her neck that many times was surprising and like I'm just grateful that they they handled it so well and so calmly that's so interesting that she was big was Liv what how much was Liv Liv was 614 so Marigold was two two pounds bigger okay I mean that is a lot bigger and she was (laughs) and what's the they were like two weeks difference yeah Mm-hmm. Okay, that's just interesting. One of my doctors had told me that um, runners tend to have bigger babies because they have better blood flow to their placenta. Oh, that's interesting. So I have absolutely no idea if that's true. That is what one <laughs> doctor told me. The thing that's crazy too is I gained the same amount of weight with both of them. So I'm like, that's just weird. But my belly was massive with Marigold. So I'm like, I guess I didn't gain as much any everywhere else. She was just like huge. And my placenta was m- huge too so it was just wild 
Is she the baby that you have a picture on Instagram of nine months in, nine months out? Yeah. Yeah, your stomach looks like, I mean, <laughs> you're you're like the, like the poster child of like the or poster mom of like, you know, probably seeing you from behind like, oh, that's a lady. And then you turn and it's like, <laughs> bam! <laughs> like, belly! Like you were- It was small. huge. Like you're smuggling like a giant basketball yeah. underneath your shirt. I was like looking at that. I was like, that like looks like comical. I mean, ginormous, but it was, I mean, it's adorable. But it was so check out Lauren's Instagram if you're not already following. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, my belly was not that big the first time around for sure. <laughs> So, so tell us about your transitions. How was the transition like when you went to having one kid or the transition to two kids? Did you struggle or have them both swimmingly or, you know, talk to us about that? I think the transition has been harder the second time around just because there's more like people in the picture with my first daughter. My husband at that time, his work had him traveling pretty frequently. So it was kind of nice, not nice, but we got in our rhythm, right? So it was me and her and we like were doing our thing. And then when the, with the second one, he is home all the time and he goes to work during the day, but he's not like traveling for two months at a time. And then there's like my older daughter to like factor in. And so it was kind of more this, I felt like there's more people I was accountable to um, as well as I had transitioned from working outside the home to like working from home. And I just, you have less time to like think when you're working outside the home, you're just like doing all the day-to-day -day things and I just really, it's been, it's been a, a challenge, right, to balance adding the second daughter and running and working and all the things. It's definitely be, been hard and just wanting to foster like my the relationship with my older daughter as well as make sure I'm spending enough time with the baby. So that, that's been a juggle for sure. So I want to circle back to the juggle of all that. But yeah. I was curious if you, you know, we'd like to ask our guests this, if they're open to talking about it. Did you have any difficulties with postpartum depression or anxiety or OCD after either of the girls? I definitely had some baby blues after Liv. I vividly remember like one night I was maybe like a week or two postpartum and I was just sitting in her room nursing her before bed and my husband came in just to find me like bawling my eyes out and he was like what's the matter and I was like I just love her so much <laughs> and she's gonna grow up and leave us and I'm just I can't handle it and I actually had like a little bit of guilt after Marigold because that didn't happen but I tried to remind myself and reassure myself that it was probably like hormonal and maybe the second time the hormonal shift wasn't as big or something like that come on hey, here she is come on Libby <laughs> can you sit down and be quiet okay then I'll help you get back in your bed in a second so, you know, that was that was kind of interesting to recognize and try not to guilt myself over not having that kind of reaction after the second the second birth. It was helpful trying to remind myself of that. And then it's like partially hormonal. And I also didn't have like as many like I don't know if you guys had these after any of your children, but like the night sweats. I like had one mm. one night of night sweats the second time around. So I was like, OK, my like I'm not like from that perspective, I'm not having as much reaction. So like that probably has playing into the emotional side of it too. 
And just in general, like since becoming a mother, I don't think I necessarily would have been diagnosed with like postpartum depression or anxiety or anything like that. But I definitely have noticed that my anxiety levels are higher just regularly or like my resting anxiety levels. Um, I never used to fear f- flying before. Now, if I'm flying, especially without my family, I have major anxiety about that. Like I'll be sitting on the plane, like visualizing and like meditating and <laughs> making sure like having to like conscious bring my heart rate down yeah and then I've also like had a little bit more anxiety about like my own mortality as well which I think is normal but it's also it's just been so different for me because I never used to have that those kinds of thoughts or worry about any of those kinds of things and so adjusting to that and finding ways to cope with that has been something I've I've had to deal with since having kids for sure yeah I feel like I get overwhelmed by that sometimes like all of a sudden I'll be like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to die someday. Like I just, yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> it's so just Starbucks one day. Ah, this could be the last latte. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's so scary. Yeah. Okay. So talk to us about, so you are training for the Olympic trials, which is at the end of February. Yep. Okay. And you also just started in the last two months, your podcast up and running. You're a co-host of that with Nick. What's his last name? Well, he transitioned out a couple months ago. I was wondering about that because I was listening to a newer episode and I was like, where's Nick? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he helped He helped Lindsay and I start the podcast and then he decided that to step away um, just because he, you know, he works full time. He's training. He has two little kids as well. And also, I don't know if you guys are in the same time zone. We were not in the same time zone, which made it mm. pretty difficult to record, especially just... when somebody's a runner, right? He wants to go to bed early. So I'm like, I'm like I can record at 745 at night. And he's like, that's um 1045. So mm. for him, it's like a little bit. Anyway, so now I, co- I host it and I have some guest co-hosts that come on regularly. We cycle through. And I've also recently started doing some interview episodes. I just did one with Caitlin Gregg Goodman. Um, who's a professional runner with Adidas who started a nonprofit for road safety for runners and cyclists. And then I'm going to have a couple um, professional runners on coming up to kind of talk about topics pertaining to the Mary Kane story that came out. So I'm really excited about that to have some women on to talk about their experiences and their stories with that. I was going to ask you about the Mary Kane thing. I was like, I know she's going to talk about this on her podcast. So for anyone who doesn't listen to Lauren's podcast, it is it's a very running centered podcast. And they talk about all the stuff that's well, I mean, you talk about it. it. My understanding is you talk about all the stuff that's like relevant right now and running like this week, what's happening? Yeah, exactly. So we we, every week we do an episode on Tuesday that kind of just runs down the latest news and running. So we have the fast facts, which are just quick tidbits to keep people up to date if somebody's announced um, like that they're retiring or that they're injured or that they're running a specific race. We kind of go over those. And then we also fall has been crazy, right? There's the New York City Marathon, Chicago Marathon. So we've been recapping all of those this weekend right now as we're talking is like NCAA Division One Regionals weekend. So we'll be talking about all of those races this coming Tuesday. And then, like I said, uh, we're starting to kind of transition in and bring relevant interviews. So not necessarily talking to somebody like a professional runner or somebody in the sport about their whole like life story, kind of talking about like something that just happened today or recently. So like um, Caitlin and I talked about her New York, her race at New York City, as well as like the nonprofit she had just launched um, this month. Oh, great. And it's been crazy in the running world right now, just for women in general. 
I mean, there's, yeah. there's just a lot of stuff going on. But the Mary Kane thing, I was going to ask you about this. So can you maybe just do like one minute synopsis about it? And then the reason I wanted to ask you about it is I'm curious if it has affected your view of raising girls because you run, you're raising girls. Like, have you thought about that correlation at all? Yeah. So basically the story with Mary Kane is that she was a standout high school athlete who she forewent her college eligibility to turn pro and go train with Alberto Salazar at Nike at the Nike Oregon Project and Lindsay Krause, who has been doing some really amazing reporting for the New York Times this year. You know, she did the dream maternity kind of going after Nike and the other companies that are not are not paying female athletes or treating female athletes poorly when they become pregnant. But the Mary Kane story specifically was about her experience at the Nor- Nike Oregon Project and how Alberto Salazar basically was telling her that she needed to be a specific weight. He picked a number out of a hat and said she needed to lose weight and was talking about it with other athletes like when she wasn't there that she was too big or she would perform well like bad at a race and say oh it's because you gained five pounds and just how she lost her period for five years or three years broke five bones and just how about how she had to leave the situation and just kind of exposing him for for that behavior and how she had felt uh, like abused during her time there and wow her insinuation was like that's the culture yeah Um, exactly okay so how as talia is and you guys like running because (laughs) i mean i am definitely not a professional athlete sit on the couch and eat cake everybody (laughs) ain't nobody telling me to lose weight the couch isn't telling me oh that's the norm or i mean obviously not like for people that just enjoy running but like if you're trying to be a per- i mean i guess if you're being an athlete like that's is that a common practice you know of oh you need to be in a certain weight category i guess i always think of like wrestlers but i wouldn't i never think of runners being like oh you need to be in this like weight category this little box yeah yeah it's something like i mean it's really shocking i feel like to have somebody come out and say that their coach was kind of encouraging that it's i've heard of it talked a lot about how you know that's something that female runners can put on themselves like oh i need like lighter is better i need to be lighter and like i don't know it's just to me the story was disgusting and made me so upset i yeah my husband and I having had daughters or having daughters and having being a runner who has struggled with like eating disorders in the past. It just makes me, you know, I'm already like really aware of just how I talk about myself, how I talk about other women around my children, like the comments that we make. And I don't know, I just, I'm really aware of like, I I, like went through puberty early, I would say. And was lucky enough that like I grew into my female body before I like started running really in earnest. And I know that that's protected me against injuries because I had had my period and I didn't lose it. Well, I lost it for like when I was really unhealthy in college, but for the most part was able to like be in my female body. And I just want that for my daughters. My husband and I always talk about how like our children, we would love for them to run, but we don't want them to specialize. We want them to try all the sports. We don't want to force anything on them until they've kind of grown into their full selves because that's just like how injuries happen and overtraining happens and it's just like really unhealthy for the culture altogether so yeah that's something as a coach too that I really tried to be like a positive influence on and unfortunately like one of my previous bosses I just remember one day where he was like explaining we were looking like talking about a recruit and he was like have you seen her ankles she has amazing runner ankles I was like who cares 
like does she run fast is she gritty like and he was like explaining like the perfect runner leg ankle and like I walk away from the conversation like do I have the perfect ankle and he's like it's Mm -hmm. proven that if your ankle looks like this way that you can like be faster I'm like uh I don't know where you're getting your information but like I don't think we need to be analyzing people's ankles to decide if we want to give them a scholarship that's so obscure that's so funny like just it feels like an SNL skit yeah yeah about that (laughs) their pinky toe it's like the best pinky toe (laughs) so are you coaching people now or like what is that looking like for you yeah right now I coach athletes online I have about 35 athletes um, adults that I coach for like marathons half marathons um, shorter distances as well but up until Last December, I was coaching. I coached for a year at the high school level, and then I coached for three years at the collegiate level. So do you coach like people of all abilities and like um, not abilities, but like like people that are very experienced runners to like novices or is it more like do you have a niche that you really focus on? Yeah, I work with all sorts of athletes, people running, you know, three days a week and like low mileage up to people who are trying to also qualify for the Olympic trials. One of my athletes just ran a 249 at New York City. And one of my athletes is going to be going after her OTQ at CIM um, this year. And what is that like a couple weeks? So I, yeah, I work with all sorts of athletes, um, mostly women, um, all sorts of ages and um, it's really fun to, you know, work with a variety of people working towards different goals. So OTQ, Talia, is Olympic trial qualifier and CIM Thank is you. the California International <laughs> Marathon. <laughs> like, so somebody who literally does not run at all. So like if somebody found you and was like, I really want to start running, would you be like, uh, F off? Or would you be like, oh, okay, I'll help you work towards that? No, but- yeah, I would love to do that. I've helped one of my coworkers back, um, she wanted to start running and we, she more like wanted to do something on her own. So she was like finding some plans, like couch to 5k plans and asked me to like, look at them and see if they were good. And, um, right now I coach my mom. She's going to do the half marathon the day after the Olympic trials. Cause there's a half marathon in the same city. Oh, cool. um, oh that's awesome. Yeah. That's so really cute. that's really fun. She, it's funny. Cause I keep telling her I'm going to fire her as my athlete because she doesn't follow my plan and she's like my husband's like don't not take her money I'm like okay fine (laughs) (laughs) that's so cute I have tried doing personal training for my mom and I just feel you so deeply on that right now yeah it's like mom she's like at least I'm one of your easy athletes and it's funny because I'm like no you're not because you don't do what I tell you and then I have to like totally rearrange everything I planned for you because now the progression is going to be all out of whack because you didn't run for a whole week and I'm stressed out about it (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) speaking as somebody who has never trained anyone but who has been trained by somebody who is a close friend (laughs) I can imagine the frustration I know Kristen has dealt with that with me all the time (laughs) oh what some yabo told you you needed to drink more water and finally you're doing it Ugh, i've only been telling you that for four years (laughs) get away from me okay so you coach and i'll tell everyone to just listen to your podcast because i don't want to get too bogged down in running here but you also you and mary had just gotten together and did a project sub three marathon so you guys trained a bunch of women to get to the sub three at the indie monumental yep 
And then you're also doing the podcast and your training for the Olympic trials. I want to know more about this Olympic trials. Well, sorry, Kristen, you obviously had a question. Go well, ahead. I, I just want to know, I, I'm just circling back to like doing all that as a work from home mom. So how does that look for you guys? Just kind of like, what's your life look like? What's your life? What are you doing? Oh, gosh, it's been <laughs> Take us it's, through a day. It's been really interesting. And like, like I said, with back when we were talking about adding the second child, I, I was kind of making this transition transition around the time that she was born. And so I'm trying to right now, like establish when am I going to train and when am I going to work and how do I best work? Like what's the best method of working? So right now, um, a couple months ago, maybe like a month or two ago, we finally made the, like, I'm finally was like, okay, I need some like help with the girls so that I can get work done and not be trying to like half work for four hours. So I can like just straight work for two hours. So on Tuesday and Thursday mornings, they go to my mother-in-law's house for three to four hours in the morning, which I just like hole up in a coffee shop and like power away on training plans or planning out what's going to be on the podcast next. And then the rest of the time I'm home. Um, I'm really, really lucky in terms of my running that my husband doesn't have to leave for work until 8.30. So that's when I would run is before he would leave. And then if I had any doubles in the afternoon or wanted to do strength training, I would do that with the girls in the stroller or while they were napping. Basically, every day is just I actually just am kind of experimenting with time blocking, which has been really helpful when I on weeks that I remember to do it. Um, so kind of sitting down on a Sunday and saying, this is these are the times I'm going to run during the week. And this is when I'm going to work and just kind of laying out day by day when those different pockets of time are going to happen. Okay, so instead of like the night before thinking, okay, so tomorrow I have to accomplish A, B and C, and I'll get it done during the times that I get them done. You sit down on Sunday and say, okay, so eight to 10 is my run time podcast is at this time. Is that what time blocking is? Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, and it kind of is just like accounting for like your whole day. Um, it, it has been really, really helpful. And just, you know, being like, okay, Monday, Monday, I try to like set us up for the week. So I kind of don't do a ton of work on Mondays, because I will have put training logs in on Saturday or Sunday. Um, so Monday, really, like it's like grocery shop, make sure the house is clean, ready for the week and all that kind of stuff. Tuesday, Thursday are the days that I know I have a good chunk of time time to do work. And I think just knowing now that I have that time set aside makes it easier. It's so hard when you're like an entrepreneur, right? To like unplug, like your brain is always working with things you want to do and projects you need to work on or whatever. But knowing having those like eight hours a week set aside, I'm like, okay, that is work time kind of helps me not feel guilty when I'm not working. Yeah. The other times of the day. Tell us about dinner. I feel like this is the question I get the most is like, <laughs> how are you making dinner with all these balls in the air? Yeah. Another factor in our house is that my husband, it's nice he leaves late, but he also gets back late. So he gets home at like 8.30, meaning that I'm like on my own for like the dinner hours and bedtime hours. L luckily, I love I love to eat. I love to cook almost like to my detriment that I'm like, well, if I don't get to cook or if it's not going to taste good, like what is even is the point? So I usually sit down with the girls and eat. I am not good at meal prepping. I used to be. Now it just seems like time away during like the weekend when we can have family time. So I kind of just usually keep it simple. I utilize my Instapot and my Crock-Pot as often as I can. And just to like simplify things, I really 
we have one thing one night a week. Like she, Liv has ballet class on Thursdays from 4.30 to 5.30. But other than that, I just try not to schedule anything in the late afternoons, evenings, which I know will get harder as they get older. But for right now, kind of minimizing commitments in that that time makes it easier to cook something. I put them in front of the TV to make it get get it done. But yeah, that's, so that's usually what we do. Put them in front of a show, cook, and then we like eat together. The, me and the girls. That's great. It yeah. works. Yeah, I think <laughs> I did that for a while with the, when it was just the two, the two boys. And now dinner prep starts around 9 a.m. at this house. Yeah. Sometimes we get some food and sometimes we're eating cereal for dinner. Yeah, yeah. The Yesterday was actually good. And usually like on Thursday, I'm like, oh, dang it, dinner. And it's 530 and we're leaving ballet. And so I've been like ordering delivery on Thursday nights. But last night, yeah, I cooked I cooked a dinner before we left. I'm like, well, it's going to sit there until we get home. That's great. That works. It worked. But yeah, I was like cooking dinner at like three. I'm like, cool. I was going to ask about mileage, but I just have to keep remembering that we're a mom podcast, not a running podcast. So. <laughs> well, but you know, I do want to know about the Olympic, you know, what, what do you have to do to qualify? Because I think at, even though I'm not a runner, this is something very interesting to me that like you want to run in the Olympics to run period. I'm like, go on. <laughs> but Olympics. yeah, so for the Olympic trials marathon um, there in February, which is like four months away. And the qualifying window is pretty large. It's like two and a half years before the trials happen for the track trials. It's like the year leading into the trials that you can qualify. And those are much smaller. Like if you want to go to the Olympic trials in the 5K or the 10K, you have to be essentially top 24 in the country. For the the Olympic trials in the marathon for this year, for 2020, you have to run for women under 245 um, in the marathon and if you run that time, you get to go like for on the track, there's qualifying times. But then if you're not like you still have to be in the top 24 to go because you can't have like 50 people running on a track at the same time, even if they're all super fast. So this year, there's actually about like 400 women that are qualified for the, the Olympic trials. And I think that's like the most that they've ever had. It's more than they were expecting. They had to make some alterations to the course because they thought it was going to be too congested and the streets were going to be too narrow. So. I'm really excited to be out there. I'm I'm seated like almost 300 out of 400. So I don't have any delusions that I'll be making them the Olympics, but it's been it's a goal that cool I had to, to run in that. Though. Yeah, That's like still pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited. My most of my family, you know, for a marathon, my family spread out all around the country. So I've never had a bunch of people at at a marathon before. Um, this past one I did solo, which was really sad to have no family there, but almost all of my family is going to be coming to Atlanta. We're renting a big Airbnb all together, which is going to be really fun. And so I'm just looking for a good experience to go out there and just enjoy it yeah. and just finish, finish hopefully higher than my seed time, maybe run a PR. Um, the course is hard, but I like hilly courses. So I'm just kind of excited to do it. It's the top three that go. Yeah. Okay. Out of 400? Yeah. <laughs> but how many... I, I heard you talking about this on your podcast. So it's something like several hundred thousand people have run marathons this year, right? I'm sure, yeah. I think, I mean, it's got to be... The peop the number of people qualifying seems really big, but it's also a very small, I would say, think percentage of people who have run marathons. So do they contact you and say like, hey, you are somebody that could qualify to run in this? Or like, how did you get to... 
How are you selected? Or if you, you select if you run time? under if you run under that two forty five time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So okay. It just yeah. for like a point of reference, an average quote unquote like middle of the pack runner would probably run like four hours. I was gonna say that seems very fast. It's super fast. I can't you even are run very fast. I can't even run one mile in the time that people are running these Olympic trial <laughs> qualifiers. You know what I mean? Uh same. <laughs> just to give you a point of reference on that. So when you're running in the Olympic, like, do they just have people like running like the track just like, all right, you're going to do 100 laps or whatever that would be? Or do they have a course? Yeah, so it's going to be on the roads. um, And it's like most marathons aren't like loopy like you'll do maybe one big loop or an out and back or like point to point but for the olympic trials and for like the olympics themselves they usually do a loop course so that this it's easier for spectators and to, um for broadcast so it's a okay. one there's one two mile loop plus three eight mile loops okay. which i've never done loops before for a marathon um I w- i'm worried about it but i um, actually met Dina Castor this past weekend, who's an Olympian. And she said, no, it's awesome. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll believe you. <laughs> you know your stuff. I just want to put on record that I'm so jealous that you're an indie. Like everyone there looked like you guys had so much fun. It was a blast. It looked it awesome. Really good race. Yeah. I'm just waiting for Lindsay to do a live show somewhere close to where I live. Where are you again? Uh, we are up in Monterey, California. See, I'm trying. We got to get her out for CIM. Or the Monterey half, something like that. Although it's the same weekend as Indy, so maybe not. Yeah, it was this past weekend. Yeah, CIM. She'll come for CIM. I yeah, I'm I'm putting you to the task. Okay, get her out here. Well, she it. left Indy last year because she went to New York last year, and oh, uh, they were the same right. weekend as Indy. Okay, all right. So it's possible. <laughs> There's hope. Okay, so I am curious. What has been something um, shocking for you about motherhood? Like just something really unexpected. Oh gosh, I, I think just the like so many things, all the things. But I think one thing that you don't really think about is just this, and this is coming from somebody whose number one or number two love language is physical touch. So it's like quality time, physical touch, and like though even with that, I feel like my physical touch bucket is like over the limit by noon. Um, somebody's always wants to sit on your lap, mm-hmm. needs to be held, wants you to cuddle them. And so that I think is just, I thought I would love it, that part. And sometimes I'm like, just get away, everybody. <laughs> get off of mom but I mean I guess that's good too that means they like you and want to be around you but (laughs) it's hard it's really hard and it's so physical like it is but having little kids it's really physical it's hard and you're always carrying something or somebody or all the people and all the things 18 bags kids yes all of it all right so we're gonna ask our end of the podcast question okay all right so we always like to ask what media you're consuming so podcasts movies tv shows books favorites of all of them magazines do people still read those (laughs) i always i just thought of that because we were in the bathroom and sky and i were reading the zoo news and the elephant at the santa barbara zoo died i didn't know that had i not read this i know it's really kind of a bummer (laughs) they have one elephant in the whole zoo they had two and then one died like a year and a half ago and like the one that remained was just not doing well yeah oh man oh my god that's got to be coming to for the san diego zoo too because the last time we went there some the docent was telling us i was like wow these 
elephants are all like kind of old. And then the docent's like, yes, we have a geriatric elephant population here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, then I I was like asking my husband, I was like, are they getting more elephants? And he's like, no, they're not. And I was that's such such a bummer but yeah yeah, so guys you know sitting on the toilet and i'm like well let me read about this article about the dead elephant (laughs) so any magazines like the zoo news that you're into (laughs) everyone run out and get your copy it is funny (laughs) magazines like i don't think i've read a magazine in forever and actually one of the women that i shared an uber with on the way like from the airport to Lindsay's house in Indy. She was like, I was just reading in my runner's world magazine. I'm like, I have not picked up a magazine in forever. So I'm impressed so, that you have magazines. So now um, you have two magazines to purchase everyone. I will, I will get up on those for sure. Um, let's see podcasts. I, I listen to way too many podcasts, but running podcasts, obviously I love the all have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. I kind of, one of I love all the all like how stuff works podcasts, um, especially like stuff you missed in history class. I think that's really really interesting. My husband loves that one. It's a good one, and they're short for motherhood podcasts. I really like the Mom Hour and uh, the Atomic Moms podcast. That was probably like I think they've been a podcast for like five years, and I listened to them before I was even for a year, even before we got pregnant. I'm like, what was I doing listening to a mom podcast when I was like gearing up gearing up to get ready. But I think that it was really helpful just thinking about topics and like being intentional going into motherhood. You always hear that stereo, not stereotype, but like that story, like that phrase of like, oh, I prepared for pregnancy and birth, but I like I didn't prepare for motherhood. And I feel like that podcast did a good job of prepping me for different topics to think about how I wanted to be as a mom. TV, my husband and I watch a lot of TV. He works in television production. So right now we're on a below deck kick. That's probably the one show that we put our phones down to watch, which is oh, bad. Wow. We're, you know, you're on your phone and on watching TV at the same oh, time. Yeah. And then obviously Disney Plus just dropped. So we've been watching all things <laughs> so Disney So you're Plus. here for that. Yes. We've already watched Liv, Liv is nodding. Liv is here and she is nodding. Then we watched Cinderella. And then what did we watch? Oh, and Little Mermaid. So it's been fun to watch the old school ones that have been uh, hard to find for years. I will say that we got it as well. And I just have like the nostalgia kick in when I watched little Elijah Wood and Huck Finn. I was like, ah, oh, I remember this movie so yeah. vividly. And I must say now I'm They're here good. for Jim. He is like <laughs> smoke show. I was like, oh, it's all about Elijah Wood. And I'm like, hello, Jim. <laughs> so is Cinderella scary? Like, this is a dumb question, right? But like when I go back and rewatch the Disney movies, I'm like, oh, this is kind of scary for a little kid. She was okay with Cinderella. She's nodding yes. But yeah, she uh, we like w- tried to show her Lion King maybe before Marigold was born. So like almost a year ago. And I knew it was kind of scary, but she was like also confused too. She was like, mm-hmm. oh, what happened to his dad? He's sleeping. And we're like, no, actually he's dead. And she's <laughs> like, no, I think he's just sleeping. And then Simba grows up and she goes, where's Simba? I'm like, that's him. And she's like, no, that's his dad. His dad's back. And we're like, you do not understand what's going on. Like, why are we <laughs> watching this movie to yeah your credit Kristen some of it is scary like the hyena song that yes prepared with scar yeah. song well yeah. we watched Aladdin the other day and I like I'm here for the music in Aladdin and I'm here for Aladdin and I was like wow this is super scary and I can't believe I loved this as a little kid like I am wetting myself right now as an adult <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like there. There are some really scary scenes in the Disney movies, and Liv, Fantasia. she used to love. 
yeah oh yeah Fantasia is creepy but like Liv used to love Moana and now she's like I don't like Maui anymore and we're like why not and she's like he's trying to hurt Moana we're like oh okay well like now you get it she used to think oh the shine the crab guy she used to love that song she's like I don't like the song anymore he was trying to hurt Moana oh <laughs> so pros and cons to growing up I guess now you understand the movie so it's a little yeah scarier. <laughs> yeah great well I'm so excited we got to talk to you and I did yeah. want to point out to everyone so when we talked to Lindsay Hine she had talked about wanting to start a podcast production company and so now your what your podcast is the first one under that right besides her own, yeah obviously yeah the ours and then she ha- she launched a second one with some of her friends the illuminate podcast so there's three of us in the network and i yeah i reached out to her i know she had been saying that for years i'm like so are you actually doing that because i want to be in your podcast network <laughs> so uh, it's been fun to work with her and she's been a really good mentor with all things podcasts for sure it's a whole new world <laughs> as you guys know a whole new world <laughs> and on that note <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us. Tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah, on Instagram, I'm Lauren Fleury 77. Um, and then you can find the Up and Running podcast at Up and Running Podcast. Up and Running <laughs> Question yeah, mark? podcast. I don't know. I think that's, I don't know if that fits on Instagram. Up and Running Pod. I'll All right. Let you yeah. know. Well, I'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, it's upandrunningpodcast.com. I know that that's the URL. Okay, great. All right, well, we'll talk to all of you next week. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks, ladies. I am a